Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Pastor here at Hope Church, and I am just in a celebratory mood. And so, thank you so much for being here uh, as we kick off this uh, new series today entitled Upside Down. Uh, did that bring up any uh, recollections for anybody? Kind of like Stranger Things, right? Okay, very cool. Yeah, this is a, uh, uh, this is a series that um, I've actually done it years and years ago. Uh, and uh, it was back when Stranger Things first came out, and it was just really the hot thing. Uh, and so, uh, I've been wrestling a little bit over the last several months about things going on in the world and in our culture and the things that we see and we hear and we feel and we sense. And I was praying to God, help me or help lead me really is a better way to put it. Help lead me so that I can help lead your church in a time that is unlike any other in my lifetime. Because everything just feels so wrong and sick and oozing with evil, right? I've talked before about how evil used to be on the lurch, but now it's leaping, I feel. And I really, really... Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Steve. I was going to mention this at the end, but I got a moment now. Uh, thank you for covering for me. Uh, for those of you who may not be aware, uh, last week was our, would have been our late daughter's birthday. And so Tiffany and I retreated to the beach just to uh, kind of be and to uh, feel and to connect. And it was just the two of us. We had a fantastic time. I gained three pounds, if that tells you anything. So it was wonderful. Uh, it was a magnificent week. And I uh, also just want to thank John for that awesome uh, celebration as we begin uh, began our service today about Debt 323. And uh, I've been in those meetings, not in this church, I've been in those meetings like what John was talking about, uh, where we had to zero out ministry budgets. Uh, there were times when uh, Tiffany and I had to go unpaid in a previous church uh, because of payroll complications and things that weren't able to get fixed. So I've been there in, that, in those moments where you can't sleep for like weeks uh, and how hard it is. You keep your faith in God, uh, but to see how God blesses us. So thank you, Hope Church, for being so faithful. Amen, amen, amen. And thank you for the Debt Free 23 vision uh, and for the guys uh, and gals who brought it to bear. So anyway, back to where we were talking about. Uh, Matt, so we're looking at Jesus's teachings on the Beatitudes, which is what started his Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I kept wanting to come back to this is because it's all about worldview. Worldview. And 
it would be easy for us in our modern, current world and life to think that we're the only ones that have ever dealt with things feeling so wrong and so sick and so evil and so uh, just terrible. And, and that's, not, that's not the case. In fact, that becomes part of our sin problem where we think it's always about us, right? We think we're at the center of the universe, the center of God's plan or the center of God's anger or the center of God's judgment or whatever. We think we're at the center of it all. That's not the way that it works, And so when Jesus really began his public ministry in earnest, according to the Gospel of Matthew, he started with this Sermon on the Mount where he's kind of laid it all out there. And he started teaching about worldview. To not look at the world through the lens that you might be familiar with in terms of power and prestige and wealth and popularity. To look at the world through the eyes and the lens of God and God's heart. Now, I don't have a slide for it because it's a really, I say really long, but it's long for the screen, uh, this passage. But I want to read this morning from, before we get into the rest of the stuff, from the book of Deuteronomy. In the 32nd chapter, verses 19 through 25. And I'm going to read out of the message version this morning because I love the way it puts it. It uses the phrase upside down, which is really the only reason I chose it. <laughs> but anyway, um, but what this is is this is Moses' last sermon, if you will. The scripture refers to it as a song. But this is Moses' last statement to the Israelites before he died and before they crossed into the promised land. And the reason Moses was not able to cross into the promised land was because he himself had disobeyed God. And so in the face of his own disobedience and punishment for turning away from the way that God wants to see the world, we get this sermon from Moses. And I want you to hear this and just feel it and see if it resonates within your soul. This talks about how the world started going wrong, right? Moses begins, God saw it, talking about our world and our culture, and spun around Angered and hurt by his sons and daughters. He said, from now on, I'm looking the other way. Wait and see what happens to them. Oh, they're a turned around, upside down generation. Who knows what they'll do from one moment to the next. They've goaded me with their no gods. Infuriated me with their hot air gods. I'm going to goad at them with a no people. With a hollowed nation incense them. My anger started a fire, a wildfire burning deep down in Sheol, which is hell. Then shooting up and devouring the earth and its crops, setting all the mountains from bottom to top on fire. I'll pile catastrophes on them. I'll shoot my arrows at them, starvation, blistering heat, killing disease. I'll send snarling wild animals to attack them from the forest and venomous creatures to strike them from the dust. Killing in the streets, terror in the houses, young men and virgins alike struck down. And yes, breastfeeding babies and gray-haired old men as well. That's the section where Moses is warning the Israelites about where they've been and what they went through and the result of their waywardness and disobedience. And does that look like a segment on the evening news tonight or last night? It is almost the exact same thing. Pandemics, murder hornets, wildfires, earthquakes, violence, terror. Even our own use of words is no longer what it used to mean. I mean, I can remember certain words that we used constantly when I was a kid that now are off limits. 
But now we're just redefining anything that is inconvenient for us. Friends, this is mocking God. And as the scripture tells us, God cannot and will not be mocked. Now, the good news is, is that of course after we read this whole section of Moses' final sermon to the Israelites, is that we also see that there is hope as the people cross into the promised land. And that hope comes into, if you follow me and my will and my way, talking about God, of course, but if you follow my will, my way, my word, then you will not experience these same calamities. I'll turn my face back to you. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I'll put my finger back on the scale, right? I will bless you and overwhelm you with my love and my grace. But as long as you're going to choose your own way and even redefine terms that we've understood for years, well, then I'm just going to have to look away and you're going to have to deal with the consequences. Jesus bursts on this scene, not after everything had been set right. Please hear and understand that. Jesus did not come into a perfect world. He came into a world that was sin-ridden and it was broken and it was decrepit and it was awful. But he came not to condemn us, but to show us the way out. He came as the incarnate God himself to show the way, but also to pay the penalty for the catastrophes and the things that we've done, we are doing, and we continue to do. And Jesus got in the midst of that, and he said, I am going to be the one to help lead you out. And as he started his ministry... He said these words, essentially, as we get into the Beatitudes. But what I need you to do is to understand that God's ways are not your ways. We've talked about that for millennia. But now we're going to talk about what it means and what I need for you to do in the meantime. And so as you see in that parenthetical statement at the bottom of the screen, a Beatitude is a statement of utmost bliss. And then Jesus goes on to list Several of these eight Beatitudes about utmost bliss, which if you are not trying to see the world through God's eyes and with the lens of faith and hope and love, will seem completely counterintuitive, completely contradictory, and just right out, downright confusing. But then Jesus is saying, I need you to understand these things and begin to live into these things. And so we begin our journey in our upside down world, trying to develop a biblical worldview. By revisiting Jesus' Beatitudes. Friends, that is my goal. That is my heart. That is my, my passion for this fall. Is that we're going to work on developing a biblical world view. And we're going to get real about some things. Some things that honestly and purpose, I mean, and personally I've been afraid to touch and to tap. But we've got to go there. Because our world's in trouble. And the world needs God's people to be led by God with a biblical world view. To be able to be that salt and light in the world. Which you mentioned later on in the Sermon on the Mount. But to be that salt and light in the world. So let's dig into our upside down series. As we look at our first beatitude. From Matthew chapter 5. The first three verses. This is first out of the New International Version. Now when Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. And he began to teach them. He said blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I also want to look at this from the message version because it puts things in a little bit of a different spin, a different turn, which I think can, think can help us get some 
unique clarity into it. And the message version has this same beatitude as stated. You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. So when we look at these two versions in a parallel way, the New International and the message, they may not seem to, to jihad real well. But they really do. That's because when Jesus is referring to being poor in spirit, he has a very specific goal in mind in terms of communicating to his audience. Being poor in spirit, first of all, means recognizing that you are spiritually bankrupt before God. Recognizing you are spiritually bankrupt before God. So so what does this mean? Essentially, it has to require us to shift our focus off of self and onto our Savior. Because we tend to think that we're the ones that bring all of this to God. We bring the goodness to God. We bring the love to the God. We do all this. No, God uses us to take it to the world. So we are spiritually bankrupt without God. Everything that we have to give, everything that we have to offer, everything that we are, If we do not recognize that it comes first from the Lord, guess what? We are bankrupt. We are broke. We are penniless. Open pockets. Now, I think this wasn't planned when I wrote this. I think this is a great, great message for us as we've talked about Debt Free 23. That the financial bounty that God has, is, and is continuing to bring is because of faithfulness, right? Because of living into that mission that we have, introducing people to Jesus and feeling their love for him. Does that mean that we're always going to be perfect? No. I can guarantee we aren't always perfect. In fact, we haven't been perfect. We're not going to be perfect in the future. But our imperfection can become our strength. Say, look, look at me. We are ourselves spiritually bankrupt without God. We need God's presence and his power and his person to be in our lives to lead us as we seek to lead God's people in the world. And as that bottom line says, we need the hope and the help of Jesus, don't we? We need that hope and that help of Jesus. And so I want you right now to consider your own spiritual bankruptcy before God. What is it that you think that you have that you can bring to God? What talent or gift or special interest do you have that you think, wow, God's going to really look at me like Tom Thumb today, right? Put a stick in my thumb, pull out a plum and say, my, what a good boy am I or a good girl or a good church, whatever right? We've got to be careful with this. We've got to remember that we are spiritually bankrupt without God. This is the way Jesus started his personal public ministry, is all of this stuff that you think you do that is good, that is great, that is grand, that you think you are bringing to God, that you're bringing to the world. You're empty. You're broke. You're penniless without God, without the love that he's given us and our recognition that we are nothing without him. So what I want us to think about as we look at being nothing without God is what we are with God. Okay? Are you with me? We got to flip it upside down. We got to look at it through God's lens. We got to look at it through the eyes of hope and of faith and of love. And so what I want you to first of all remember is I want you to remember that you are accepted. You are accepted. Even in light of what Moses wrote about how catastrophic we've been, how terrible we've been, how Reckless, I mean, reckless, that's not a word, but ruthless and reckless that we are. We're still accepted because of Jesus, right? Look at Titus 3, 7. Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. 
It didn't come from Dave Ramsey first, apparently, right? Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. Jesus made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. In our spiritual bankruptcy, Jesus came to give and to live and to show us what it means to truly live as well. In Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, when he died and paid the penalty for your sin and fulfilled the wrath of God. Got to mention that. Talk about Deuteronomy 2, right? Jesus fulfilled the wrath of God. He did something by making you acceptable to God. So what Jesus did on the cross, he made you completely acceptable to God. No matter what you've done or what you will do. Now, does this give you a license to go do whatever you want to do? A license to willy-nilly? You know, forgive the whole James Bond reference there. It failed, it failed dramatically. But still, we don't have the license to willy-nilly. No, with our acceptability before God, it comes with responsibility. It's like, God, I recognize my own culpability and participation in the ruthlessness and recklessness or recklessness, as the pastor once said. And forgive me, I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to live into your light, recognizing my spiritual bankruptcy. And as a result, when I get it wrong, Help me to be perfect in my imperfection. Help me to seek to get it right. To seek to be a vessel of grace and mercy. Reconciliation with other people. Reconciliation with the Lord. Help to make me acceptable. So you are, in the midst of your recklessness and your ruthlessness, you are accepted to God when we seek to live according to his will, his word, and his way. And that carries responsibility for us. It means that we have to be mindful of the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. And to be different as a result. That's what the word holy and awesome mean. To be set apart. To be different. To not continue to live the way that we've always lived. That has brought about violence and catastrophe. Plague. The second thing I need you to remember is that you are loved unconditionally. You are loved unconditionally. See this verse from Isaiah. The mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you will never end. Now this is from Isaiah out of the Old Testament. So this is prior to Jesus' mission, his ministry, fulfilling the penalty for sin and the wrath of God. We see that God is telling us, my love for you will never end. He accepts us. Does that mean he always approves of everything we do? No. And when we get it wrong, we need to be the good, dutiful children that we are and say, I confess. I messed up. I got it wrong. I want to fix it. I'm going to get it right. We oftentimes confuse what it means to accept and to approve. If you happen to see the devotion yesterday and today on Hope Church Plus... Just a shameless plug for the Facebook page and the, and the page on the website. I've talked a little bit about the difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus teaches us that in order to be accepted by God, what we need to do is to seek to follow his will and his way. And when we mess up, which we will invariably do, to seek to get it right. And then we can confuse what it means to accept and approve of something. And the little illustration that I use is I can accept the fact that Freddie Freeman plays for the Dodgers. I do not approve of it. Right? I do not approve of that. But I can accept that it's the fact. 
right? I can accept that that's the reality. I think that's how God deals with us on a much grander, more complicated scale. I accept you as my child, Mark. I don't approve of everything that you do. Okay, Lord, forgive me. Help me to get it right, to not get lost in that disapproval, to think that I am not worth the gift of salvation, but to help me to live into it because I'm loved unconditionally. What, you real, what you'll realize is that you can't make God stop loving you because his love is not based on what you do, but on who he is. You see that? You can't make God stop loving you because his love is not based on what you do, but on who he is. The scripture tells us that God's very nature and character is love. God cannot violate his character, his nature. It is love. And so much like in our own interpersonal relationships, with the love that we have and we experience and we feel with each other, there are times in our marriages, in our relationships with our families, our parents, our kids, our coworkers, whatever, right? There are times when we bump into each other, when we make mistakes, when we fall short, when we fail, we get mixed up and messed up. What do we need to do? Seek to make it right, don't we? To acknowledge our failure. To seek that reconciliation and that restitution and to live differently as a result. This is exactly how God wants you and me and all of us to live together with him. To acknowledge our sinfulness. To believe in his mercy, his forgiveness, and to live differently as a result. So if we are accepted by God in spite of sometimes him not approving of everything we do, and we are loved unconditionally then we have to remember that in those messes and misses and mix-ups, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. That can be a very heavy thing sometimes, can't it? I mentioned before that oftentimes we don't know how difficult forgiveness is until we have a reason to forgive or something from which to be forgiven. And as... We sometimes play around every now and then. We acknowledge our sin and we recognize that the devil knows your name, but he chooses to call you by your sin. Whereas God knows your sin and chooses to call you by your name. Right? The devil may be sitting in here this morning, not sitting in here, but he's going to attack you when you get out of here. And to try to tell you all the things that you've done wrong and to get you to align your identity with your sinfulness. Whereas the mission of Jesus is to get you to come face to face and come to grips with your sinfulness. But to lead you into your new identity, which is a forgiven, redeemed, restored child of God. I was going to prompt for one, so thank you. I appreciate it. You are forgiven. Which means God doesn't rehearse your sins. He releases them. God doesn't rehearse your sins. He releases them. What the devil's going to try to get you to do is for you to rehearse your own sin. To think about those times, those moments when you messed up. And to get you to replay those in your mind. 
Because the more that the enemy can get you to focus on the stuff that you've done wrong, he is trying to convince you that your sin is bigger than God's ability to forgive. Or that your sin is bigger than God's ability to forget. You see, when, we finished, when I finished up my message in Hope at the Movies, we talked a lot about forgiveness to provide that bridge. And then the belief and living into it, and here we are back again. What God wants you to rehearse in your mind is to hear the words that you are forgiven and that your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And remembering that we are like dust, but we are intended to live forever, either in heaven or somewhere a little further south. And so the next thing, the last thing on our list that I want you to remember this morning is that you are valuable. You've been bought and paid for by Christ. So you belong to him. Be free now from all these earthly prides and fears. Pride and fear. You are valuable. There are two basic things that create value. The first is who owns something. And the second is what someone is willing to pay for it. Who owns something and what someone is willing to pay for it. Now, my last name is Jordan, right? Yes, it is. If I were to chew a piece of gum and spit it out and leave it here on the table or on the end of the stage, someone would say, ooh, gross. At best, right? But what if... Michael Jordan were to spit out a piece of gum and leave it on the table or on the edge of the stairs and say, ooh, eBay, <laughs> right? Right? Or the same thing with my ratty old canvas shoes here, right? These are my Air Jordans because they are extremely light. They're made by Crocs, but you get the point, right? These shoes are worth something to me because they keep my feet roughly protected, but if they were... Michael Air Jordans, they would be worth something great. You see, value works much the same way. Who owns something and what someone is willing to pay for it? It's amazing to think about some of the stuff that you can find in memorabilia areas like chewed bubble gum and hair off of a hairbrush, things like that, right? It's amazing when you consider. I used to have a whole bunch of illustrations that are escaping me right now about what people are willing to pay for something that you and I might be considering trash. But because of who owns something and what someone may be willing to pay for a piece of chewed bubble gum. Do you see the metaphor here? You may look at your life and the things that you've done wrong and all the mistakes and the messes and the misses that you've committed and think I'm worthless. I might as well be chewed bubble gum and a watered up napkin. Jesus says, you better banish that thought. You're thinking in an upside-down mindset. I need you to get this right side up. I made you. I love you. I forgive you. I redeem you. I restore you. I used my very 
blood and life to purchase you from the grips of hell. You are valuable. Never forget it. And even in the face of your messes and your misses and your mix-ups, you've got to remember that because Jesus paid for your salvation with his life, you are accepted. You are loved unconditionally. You are forgiven. You are valuable. Don't let the devil try to convince you otherwise. Don't let the world try to convince you otherwise. You are valuable because you are forgiven. Never forget you are loved unconditionally. And even in the face of our misses and our failures, we are accepted. Does that mean God approves of everything we do? Nope. No more than you approve of everything that I do or your child does or whatever, right? But we accept the reality that we are all fallen. And we have all participated in the ruthlessness and the recklessness that have contributed to our world and our culture being in the condition that it's in. And even in our own sinfulness and self-centeredness, we come back and think that we're at the center of it all. God says, forget that. I need you to get this right side up. Begin to look at the world through the lens of faith and hope and love. And recognize apart from God, you can do nothing. Or to use the terms of Jesus, you're spiritually bankrupt. This is why the message version, I think, is such a beautiful way to look at this in closing as the band comes forward. When you're at the end of your rope, you realize that there is less of you and more of God. Is there anyone in this room this morning that needs less of self and more of Savior? Let me say a show of hands. Is there anyone in this room, one more time, watching with us online, who needs less of self and more of the Savior? Praise be to God. So let's take this upside down world and begin to live rightly into it. Thanks of who God is, what he's done for us, calling us accepted in the face of our messes, loving us unconditionally, forgiving us and making us valuable because of who owns us, who created us, who redeems us by saving us. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today and I pray for your worldview to become synonymous with the way that we all see the world. Forgive us for the so many times we've been ruthless and reckless in our own behavior in the way that we have lived and we have done life apart from your will and way. And Lord, help us to realize that we all need less of self and more of the power of your saving love in our lives. I think about this in terms of what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus walking across the, the hillside there. And he said, it is time for me to decrease so that he may increase. And may that be the root of our prayer this morning. That we may decrease so that you may increase in our lives. And as we go back out into the world to live our lives for you, that we may increase your faith, your hope, and your love to forgive our world, broken as it is to help redeem us and to restore us to live for you. I pray this in the holy, helping, healing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.